Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Return of the Side Quest! Welcome everybody to tonight's episode of Tabletop Journeys. Today we're going to revisit a series of shows that we used to do many moons ago. We're going back into the side quest vault and we're going to finally talk about the movie Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. But as always, before we get into the bulk of our episode this evening, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, I see you reversed from the last time we spoke. How are you folks doing tonight? How are things wherever you happen to be laying your hat, laying, laying your my- head? Yeah. I'm doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. Enjoying the end of the month of May as we came through Memorial Day, had a great weekend, had big plans for June. June's going to be really busy. Going to go on a little trip next weekend up to Maine and a flash trip for the day and back for my granddaughter's third birthday. So I'm really excited. Nice. Things are still doing pretty good down here in Virginia Beach. Now, mind you, where I lay my head is on my pillow. It's just the whole bed rolls with the house. <laughs> it's also where I hang my hat. It hangs on a hook by the door right over there. But yeah. it also, again, it rolls with the whole shebang. We're, our days are numbered at the end of this week. On Sunday, Uh-oh. in fact, we set off for Maryland and will change locations yet again. You sound so excited about that prospect. <laughs> Actually, I don't mind moving days too much. They can be a chore sometimes. They really can. Um, but for the most part, once we've got everything packed up and I'm driving the big ass rig down the road, I actually enjoy that. And as long as the weather's nice, driving a big vehicle in windy rain is crap. But as yeah, long as it's, sure. it's not windy and rainy, I love being on the open road with my big rig, just driving along. Yep. Yep. It makes cool. me happy. <laughs> Excellent. I, you know, we're all we're all somewhat jealous of your exploits roving around the country uh, doing the thing. So that's uh, it'll be it'll be fun to see uh, where you guys go next. All right, well, uh, let's crack on in here because let's kind of start with the conceit that two thirds of your hosts did not see this movie in the theater for different reasons. I'll give you a but minute. One third did because he's awesome. I was just see, I was gonna say was like, I'm gonna give you all th- again ten seconds to think which one of us was the one that saw it in the theater. But as you can tell by 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 Glenn's uh, exaltation there, it was Glenn. So I guess that's let's start there tonight, Glenn. Is what was it like seeing this movie in the theater specifically? Like what was the environment in the theater? What was it like to go ahead and see it there? 
So it was pretty busy. It was not quite a full every seat sold packed movie, but it was a solidly filled theater. And I haven't seen that in a while going to the movies. Mind you, you know, since movies started opening back up, we haven't gone that terribly often. And it's been long enough that I know they have been filling back up, but I was a little bit surprised by the crowd. But overall, it was a blast. I'm glad I saw it on the big screen just because some of the... Anytime you got an action movie or anything that's going to have some good effects or that you need the full theatrical sound for, all of those come off better on the big screen. And this was no exception. I'll be honest, I hesitated just because of the history behind Dungeons and Dragons movies, but I was determined to go out with hope, aided by the fact that both my wife and my son wanted to see it. So we're like, fine, we're going to go see it in the theater. Not quite opening day, but I think it was the second day it was out. We made it. And it was a blast. Like, Seeing the pudgy the pudgy dragon on a little screen <laughs> is, impressive, is impressive. When he's taking up the whole wall in front of you, it was it was good. I'm glad I'm glad I spent the money to go see it there, and I'm glad that my hope was restored for D and D movies, and that it was actually good. Now, does that mean that this was a War and Peace film or on Golden Pond? No, it's a and D movie, and it plays out kind of like a D and game will. So it's got some hokey yeah. humor and some dumbass shit that they do, just like you would at your own table. But it was so much fun, and I loved it. Yeah, I think the best compliment. I, so I really enjoyed the movie, and we'll get into kind of like the what was great about this movie. But I think the best compliment that I can give it is that the movie did exactly what we all hoped it would do. We weren't looking for like great dramatic epic opus D&D because that's those are not the games yeah, that we play supposed right? to be Lord of the Rings it was a really great D&D movie I really enjoyed it I thought that the blend of and you're right like the mystery was not particularly difficult to figure out about what was going on especially as they revealed clues like off screen that the kind of irony of situation where we as the audience knew what was going on, but the people on the screen did not know what was going on kind of thing. It wasn't particularly difficult to suss out what the dramatic line was going to be. Plenty of humor, plenty of really great humor and mm. not just, not just even like humor in the world, but also like gamer humor. That was just really funny. Like the pudgy dragon. Or I think my favorite one was when there was the bit at the end when they're trying to sneak into the castle. And so you've got, Ed, you've got the bard playing his loot, trying to go distract the guard but the the sorcerer's losing concentration on the spell to pre- to pre- the illusion and so his face just starts getting starts all weird it's just like melting and everything like just that kind of stuff it's just like uh, they lost concentration or they like whatever like that's it's just it's just really a really good time i enjoyed watching it i also did not watch it in one sitting Take that for what you will on on a movie. They didn't sit down and say, okay, I'm going to watch it now. I kind of watched it while I was at work in 45-minute chunks. So take that for what it's worth. So, What about you, Leonica? What did you think? I, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but not a lot. I am going to be playing a very different role tonight than I have probably ever played during one of our side quests before. I did not find the movie to be greatly enjoyable. I found it to be moderately enjoyable. It took me four nights to watch it. And one of those nights I flat fell asleep in the middle of a scene that I ended on the before because I was it was basically I wasn't into the scene enough to watch through that scene the first time. So I actually fell asleep on one scene twice. So I had to go back the next <laughs> night and rewatch and go back to where I remembered watching to watch it. Fortunately, my wife had shut it off. So at least it didn't go through the whole movie. So they only got credit for it one time. But it was... 
I found elements of the movie to be wonderful, despite the fact that overall it was not a great movie for me. I'm a bit odd in these things. Full disclosure, when it comes to movies or music, back in the days of yesteryear, when all the oldlings used to buy music on these plastic things called CDs, I had a golden rule. That golden rule is very simple. If I didn't love three songs, I would not buy a CD. I had to have three songs to buy a CD, two songs to buy a cassette, period. If there were four songs, I would buy it day one. So I would always listen to things before I would buy them, and that would be how I decided what I went home with for CDs. That was my rule for music. In regards to movies, the only movies I ever go to the theaters to see are action films and tentpole films. But I have a basic rule of thumb. If I spend $20 on something, it better be better than anything else I could have spent that $20 on. This movie was not better than a dinner at a local restaurant that I love that I can get for 20 bucks. It was not better than that. It was good, but it was not better than that dinner. I would have been pissed and hated this movie to the core of my essence if I paid theater money to see it. That's me because my money is tight to my soul. I don't (laughs) shell out money for anything I don't really want. It better be better than something else I'm going to spend it on because I can't even spend $20 at a movie. I go to a movie. Generally, I'm going with at least one other person. Usually, I'm paying for that other person. So now I'm up to close to $40. Now I got to buy popcorn. Now we're talking about it's almost a $50 event. What can I do with $50 at a movie rather than see this movie? I'd have been pissed. I would have been pissed. Yeah, it's at least a $50 event, especially when you think about the fact that they had special like Dungeons and Dragons swag at the concession stands and all that stuff. Because if I'm going to go see this movie in the theater and I'm not walking out with a D20 popcorn holder, then something's wrong. Yeah, didn't spring for those, but I thought about it. (laughs) But now that I've talked down the film, that is my gripe about the cost of films in general. That is not specific to this film. So let me talk briefly about the film. Was it a good depiction of an average or standard D&D game? Yes. Did it depict the types of things we can do at our game tables? Yes. Was there really good humor? That is exactly what we see at our game tables, on our actual plays, in our home games, in the games we wish we got to play in. Absolutely. There are so many good things about this film. I don't want people to take what I'm saying about why I didn't want to see it in the theater to mean don't see the movie or don't like the movie. Yeah, don't worry. It's not in theaters anymore, so you're not going to scare them off of that. Fair enough. <laughs> but my point is I don't want them to scare, be scared away from watching the movie at all. I just felt that I am so glad I only tried to watch it in my home. This honestly should have been a Saturday afternoon. I've got nothing else going on. Watch the film. I actually saw the very first Dungeons and Dragons movie in the theater. And while I have a lot of problems with it, I actually liked a couple of the characters in that film better than most of the characters in this film. That's just me. Huh? I loved the character who played Ridley. I loved that character. I loved everything that Justin did in that role. I named one of my Greystokes in Alanis after that character, modeled an entire campaign of a character on that. In fact, I insisted that Ben let me call my character Ridley because I love that character so much. By the way, also a thief. 
also the character I played. So if you remember Razan the Third's son, if you remember that game, why he was always called Ridley, that was not the character's name. <laughs> but I love that character so much, and I still remember Marlon Wayans saying to him, that is the Ridliest thing I've ever seen you do when he did something stupid. I remember that <laughs> being like the greatest moment in that movie. That was my line from that movie. And while there are wow. awesome lines in this movie and there are great things, I loved that character. I thought everything, a lot of other things in that film totally fell down. Technology, effects. I thought Jeremy Irons phoned it in poorly, even though he's a wonderful actor. And I have no right to ever say how Jeremy Irons should act. It just felt like that was, please give me my paycheck. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that it was. That's all it was. Like, literally, I think that's what it was for him. And too many actors were phoning that in. But I thought Justin, who thought this was going to be his breakout role, Worked his ass off for that. I thought Marlon Wayans worked his ass off for that role. And I think that those two actors in particular got let down by that film. And I don't think anybody was let down by this film. I just, I don't know. It just didn't, something about it just didn't sing. Maybe it was too steeped in Forgotten Realms. Maybe I wanted something a little more homebrew or original. But that would have taken away from its mission statement. So I don't know how this... I have no ability to say this would have made this movie better because I don't think there is. I just think it was a fun movie that was enjoyable, and that's really about as far as I went with that. I do think that there is something to be said for the pacing of this movie, that they just tried to cram a lot into one movie. And I think that is that's like a. I think that was almost like writing from position of fear because so many of other Dungeons and Dragons movies have been so goddamn awful. Two and three, like two. And Name of the King and all of those movies with Jason Statham. Yeah. So like really, they're really they're telling a story that probably could have been two movies. No. I, I think action-wise, the thing is that it, it divides up. It, it follows the three-act structure, right? So it's yeah. very much a three-movie format, but they didn't really have enough material for three movies. So probably, so two probably would have been the sweet spot. They would have had to figure out what to do with the middle act. But I think that this movie suffers from that pacing quite a bit. If you think about all the scenes with Regé Jean-Paul playing the paladin, right? I needed that, more of him. For, we needed more, I of, needed him, more right? of him. I needed to see this party adventure beyond the meta plot. Like, I think that's where maybe yeah. where my issue was. And Glenn, I love your thoughts on this. To me, I thought they built a really good party and they brought in great elements. Oh, we're going along the trail. We got this. Oh, let's go get this guy we used to know, background stuff. Let's go talk to my ex boyfriend who's now got a new woman who. They probably could have done a little bit more to make her seem like Goliath. Great scene, Such by the way. Such a great scene. Amazing scene. Oh, my scene. God. The only thing that could have made that better is if they had Sam Regal play the halfling. That would have been the only thing that could have been better. If that was so, – that would have been epic. See, uh, I found that scene entertaining, and I'm not going to say I didn't like it. But with the exception of the fact that she picks up the staff there that then happens to turn out to be, hopefully, a critical piece right. of equipment, the entire scene – had nothing to do with advancing the plot. Absolutely. That would be my only takeaway to the film, is there were a few too many scenes that didn't really advance the plot. It could have moved a little quicker. And I think that's where it started feeling full. Is it like some of the stuff that they crammed in there didn't need to be there. But again, I didn't go in expecting it to be a fantastic film. I went in hoping to just enjoy it. And I didn't just enjoy it. I liked it. So a lot of that 
the levity coming from that surprise, honestly, is part of what carried me through the day is, yeah, this was great. I'm so glad I came to see it in the theater. If I were laying it up, lining it up against some other summer blockbusters, I might have made a different choice. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. In a more <laughs> crowded field, this movie would have thoroughly disappeared. And I do think that's part of why it, it – it absolutely failed expectations from a financial standpoint. We know that from what we're hearing in the media. Hold on. It, we'll get even to that though point it made money. It made a ton of money. It was the it is the it is a top ten movie in twenty third in twenty twenty three for money wise. In a very non crowded field yet. Also, it didn't make back the amount of money that they have. It is a bit disappointing for what they wanted to get out of the film. It doesn't mean it was an abject failure, but it is less than what they expected to make. That is the information that I have gotten from researching on the film, that it's not quite doing what it expected. Now, how much of that was OGL stuff? How much of it was once people started seeing it and word of mouth went over and it was, hey, this is a fun film. It's worth seeing. It's really it's fun, but I don't know about spending 50 bucks. Yeah. I mean, it made almost $100 million in profit. I think this movie did just fine. It made almost $100 million in profit. I understand that. But it did also come to the ability for you all to watch it at home on the comfort of your couches very quickly. Very quickly. Because while it did really well when it released, it didn't have a lot of longevity. Repeat viewing is what movies want. And if you spend $100 million on a movie, you have to double your cost to cover your – to break even, generally speaking. That's how right. that works. Even you making a profit isn't enough. It's you need to double your money on your budget at a so, minimum to make profit. That's I the think, way most of those films go from an I run Paramount kind of standpoint. And <laughs> in that regard, it didn't. I yeah. think a lot of that was because it just wasn't good enough for repeat viewings. It, I can word of mouth initial- was it's going to be on streaming soon enough. Wait till you get home. So I think it'll do very well in streaming in a past era. It would have made a killing on DVDs and rentals. Even if it didn't do amazing, it did well, but it didn't do amazing. And I think that's where the film sits in my heart is it did well. It was a good movie, but it wasn't amazing. And I don't like to spend money on movies that are not amazing. That's my take. That's me. Watching it at home, fine. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I don't regret watching the movie. I had fun with it. There are things that I saw in that film that would be good. The one thing I will say I really regret I didn't get to see the 1980s Dungeons and Dragons crew enough. Those split scenes were too fast for me. I needed slow takes on those characters. I wanted to see them, and I wanted to see them get out. So even if they never make a movie with them, I know they're still out there in the world adventuring. That's what I needed to see. And hopefully some director's cut or some special feature pops up on Paramount at some point where I get to see that. So I think that the viewership suffered for a couple of reasons. And not just in the initial opening, although it still did well, but in continued afterwards. I think the Watsi OGL debacle is definitely part of it. I think a lot of people had a bad taste in their mouth about Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons, and that definitely had an impact on how many fans went to see it. But if you watch this film, you said it earlier, Josh, that it's very steeped in Forgotten Realms lore. If you're not familiar with D and the Forgotten Realms, you're not going to get or understand some parts of the movie because they don't take the time to explain the setting. They don't take the time to talk about Neverwinter or anything about it. They don't take the time to actually introduce you to the world. In that instance, if they did two films, they could have done more where they were bringing more of the environment in. So non-D&D players, if they were trying to like, and I know that they were, they're trying to broaden the D&D fan base, but non-D&D players, people who aren't already familiar with the game, just coming to watch a fantasy game or a fantasy movie that's based off of a role-playing game, they're not getting what they got with 
other epic fantasy films or even non-epic fantasy films where you get the background of the, not just the characters, but you get the background of Rivendell to some degree and sure. the horse people. And it just wasn't there because I, I was familiar with it. I was like, this is great. But I even leaned over to my wife and said, if you didn't, if you weren't familiar with the Forgotten Realms, yeah. some of this would be a little bit patched together and not a lot of info to help carry you through. Yeah. The whole thing in the Underdark itself needed so much. It needed that was the only part more. of the movie I thought was truly crappy. Yeah, it really needed more. Again, it's no, it's like we were saying earlier with with the Paladin when when they're with Zank, the Paladin. He, we needed more of him. We needed more of the of that whole Underdark scene. That whole thing just went. It went too fast, and it was way too superficial. While we all loved like the super funny obese red dragon, the whole Underdark scene was just a setup for that ga- that gag and the yep. and the intellect of our not wanting not wanting Edgin when was, when they were walking yeah, by, which yeah, was the best gag in the movie. Yeah, that was hurtful. Love it, love it. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if you needed a fifteen minute. 20 minute segment of the film to set up two gags. Yeah. And the Underdark's a great example of what I'm talking about. If you don't know what the Underdark was, that just looked like a cheesy set where they walked down a fake cave hallway. Yep. And then the dragon scene. It just, it didn't give you any information about where they were, why it was dangerous. It didn't, yep. it didn't pop. I did think the uh, the scene in, in the Underdark when they're getting ready to go over the bridge and the sorcerer accidentally steps on the tile to go ahead and knock the bridge down. That's the kind of thing that happens at D and D tables. That, that yes. that's the kind of stuff that I was talking about earlier. Where it's like, oh yeah, like we have all been at that game where the sorcerer fails his perception check and doesn't realize where the bridge starts, and all of a sudden now, so now the bridge is gone. Like that's what we've all been. Right, in after everybody said, don't step on any of the tiles. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. And it was the goat gags like that, that made it funny and made it be. D&D for me. They're the things that brought, and I think that's part of why I enjoyed it, is it brought a and d game to mind with those foibles. I'm like, I could totally see my party doing that. Or yeah. So what did we think of the characters themselves? So I we've talked a little bit about some of them. We've talked about how we wanted more from Zank the Paladin. What did you think? And we talked a little bit about Holga and the kind of super weird and funny relationship that she has with the halfling and the halfling clearly has some sort of a giantess fetish because that's like that whole like weird like little bit of weirdness in there she's got a halfling fetish exactly about what about uh hugh grant as forge the the became lord of of never of of neverwinter when who has this kind of like weaselly quality about him i don't know what'd you think about it i love Uh, Hugh Grant as an actor what'd you think of the job that he did I thought he was pretty good because I think at, if you take the lead up to the film and the press releases and the things, they made it seem like he was part of this team. And I think the early parts, the early stages, that first act, they really did show that he was part of the team. And even though it was largely in flashback and very quick, or actually it was all in flashback and very quick, they definitely gave you the feeling of the backstory that this group had worked together and that they had done a lot of adventuring together. So there was definitely a connection there. The fact that Hugh Grant played that role and then got really swarmy with it towards the end, but yet still had the smile on his face, even when he was very scared of the Wizards of Thay and all of that, I thought was 
a really good turn for Hugh Grant. I think he did very well in the role. Did he knock it out of the park? Was this Notting Hill? Was this Four Weddings? Absolutely <laughs> not. It probably wasn't as good as the Drew Barrymore music movie, which I absolutely loved that movie. Truly loved that movie. It's one of my favorite rom-coms. It was great fun. You brought up Notting Hill. That's my favorite rom-com of yeah. all time. Uh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Four Weddings and a Funeral. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, comedy movies. I just love that mm-hmm. film. Before you move on, though, I, I don't think that there'll be any surprise what my favorite rom-com is. I think that you guys will be able to nail it without any problem at all. I'm so at really? a loss right now. Yeah. yeah. Shakespeare in Love. Absolutely. You know what? Should have known okay. that. I absolutely should have known that. Oh, I, fair enough. I, yep. I hold yep. my honor cheapened, sir. I hold my honor cheapened. <laughs> Sometimes when you're presented with all of the options of the multiverse with a blanket statement, like, I bet you can figure out what it is. There's yeah. just too many things. Yeah, so. analysis paralysis is analysis really, paral- folks, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely froze up on that. But I think Q was fine in the role. I really enjoyed what he did. There wasn't anything that he did that I said, oh, that could have been better. I didn't really like that. I thought everything he did was great and enjoyable. I saw that in game. I saw that. I saw a party that used to play for a a long period of time that got back together. The whole group got back together, but one of the players wasn't really there. So so the DM is now running or NPCing his character and turned that character into one of the villains. And you think he's the mastermind villain, then you realize that he's not. I saw that in the game and said that was really well done. Yep. And I thought that the way that he played off of Daisy Head, who played Sophina, the Red Wizard of Thay, I loved their interactions. I thought that they were really good. And quick shout out to Daisy Head from Shadow of Bones. She was great. Oh, she was fabulous. And like fabulous in that super creepy way. Oh, yeah. She really nailed the Red Wizards of Thay. Now, that being said, how did everybody in the game not know, or in the movie rather, not know that she was a wizard of Thay? That was like, even if like she had the head covering over her tattoos and everything like that, like in a world where the red wizards of Thay exist, that you didn't point out that Sophina was a, was probably a red wizard of Thay is an, is an oversight on everybody that ever interacted with her. That was like, she was almost too good. <laughs> so, I was like, but again, but again, like that's one of those things that like, as a storyteller, when you're writing a game, like you can show like Benito does this all the time. He will show you the evil. He will let you know where the evil is. And then he will show you the city of 10,000 people who think that evil is not evil is the best thing that ever happened to them or is maybe a little bit evil and they don't care you know that kind of thing because now they have prosperity so it was such a great a great twist and now here's a message from friends of the show are you intimidated by all the ttrpg podcasts and don't know where to start sawyer's thoughts is here to help hosted by me sawyer wolf I will come to the internet and bring you my thoughts on the myriad of podcasts so you know what they're like before downloading a single episode. Whether it's actual play, interviews, or informational style, I will help sort them all. So tune in to Sawyer's Thoughts, coming soon to a podcast app near you.
you, Glenn? Who was your Speaking favorite character? Speaking of Daisy yeah. Head, she, by the way, she may not have been my favorite character, but she was my favorite performance of the film. Yes. Mm, okay. Um, she did an amazing job. And I don't know if y'all recognize her in that get up, but she yep. is Jenya from Shadow and Bone. From Shadow and Bone. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And if I, you watch Shadow and Bone through the end, in that show, you see it too. The actress has an incredibly expressive face. In scenes when she finally realizes the how terrified she is of the Darkling, but she's still stuck with him, she carries so much of her shock and horror, and yet then suddenly tries to pull it back in so it's not noticed. She does so much with her face, it's incredible. Yeah. On the Hugh Grant front, I did really enjoy his performance as a... He was a satirical bad guy by the end. He was almost foppish by the time it was all said and done. Yeah. But I think he did a good job with the role, and I like Hugh Grant. And I had fun with it. I could see his skeeviness from the beginning, though. And his relationship with Daisy Head's character, the Red Wizard of Thay, made it clear once they were the only two that got away that something was up right there at the beginning. Yeah. But in terms of favorite character, probably the Druid, played Doric, by Sophia yeah. Lillis. Yeah. Doric. Not just because she turned into an owl bear, but in terms <laughs> of having a, I felt like she had the most backstory. I'm going to be honest. Sure. Yeah. She came from the Emerald Conclave. She had more going on in the community. She felt the most real to me. Yeah, I can see that. And man, what a great illustration of how useful druids are first of all in a campaign like the if you even if you're doing kind of a heist campaign the way that like when she turned into a fly to go ahead and to get the intelligence by flying into the room and seeing what was going on and stuff like that like really useful portrayal of druidic abilities which i think was really nice they threw the number of wild shapes right out the window with that scene though when she's trying to escape oh, and she's changing totally. from animal to animal and in the end she was a deer so he was like ah she did need to be a deer <laughs> which was great yeah. yeah exactly she's probably like a 25th level druid but that's not the point the point is that it was fun that's no i agree i think that dork yeah i think that dork is my favorite character Although, I really like man, the sorcerer too and the growth that he has, but Dorak outshined him. The sorcerer did not work for me. Yeah, Until I, he finally managed to get past the attunement and became confident in himself, I didn't like him. They I, overplayed his incompetence, but after that, I, I was really starting to vibe. I, I, I was annoyed with the whole attunement thing with the helmet too, honestly. That went on too long. It went on too long, and it wasn't good. Yeah, it's just it was too long. They kept going back to kind of the same drum. They really, I don't know. I'm not sure how I would have done that differently because I understand what they were trying to do. Trying to give what is actually a really cool on-screen representation of what attunement means. But if you just, want a better version, watch yeah. this last season of Critical Role and watch Vax attuned to his vestment. Vox Machina, not Critical Role, my bad. Okay, yep. interesting. Yeah, that was yeah, I will say this about the attunement scene and I didn't care for it. It seemed to me that they attempted to write a scene that had a bunch of pathos in a film that was not about pathos. And that's where I think it went wrong. It was totally different from everything around it because they're like, oh, you need to handle your own personal issues and demons and you need to your insecurities. And it's your father who now looks like you in some weird way. It was like, Luke on Dagobah or some weird thing like that. And I was like, and I'm like, why are you putting this in this movie? What sense does this make in this yeah. film? I like the but, idea of the concept, but yeah, it put that kind of pathos in Lord of the Rings, do it better, but put it in Lord of the Rings, put it in 
Dragon Slayer to go back to the eighties. Put it in Lady. <sighs> put it. Put it in wow. any other fa- sword and sorcery film you can think of. Even in hell. Even in Momoa's Conan. For, for how about Crawl? Or, or Crawl? Yes. You know, if you're gonna, gonna have the, glaive, the old eighties fantasy, if you're gonna have the glaive, put Pathos in those kinds of film. And if you want a lighter-hearted film that does Pathos well, I would merely point you to the very first. Uh, Dragonheart with Sean Connery doing the voice of the dragon and the characters involved with that. That was a lighthearted fantasy film that had deep pathos that worked versus this, which is a lighthearted film that had pathos that fell flat. It was just, it was built into Dragonheart versus just crammed into one spot of this. So you're a hundred percent right. It was annoying, right? That's the thing too, is like the pathos did not... The pathos did not serve to add any drama. It just annoyed everybody that he couldn't get the attunement right. And, and I do recognize what they were trying to do. I just, it just didn't sing. They could so have really done think- better saying he had to beat the helmet in a battle of wits. So maybe he's playing chess with himself. Had sure. it be a- then he'd be like, so I clearly cannot drink the glass in front of you. Yeah, there are a number of ways it could have been done. It just was a scene that didn't work for me, which is whatever. Yeah. yeah. Again, fun film, bad scene, yep. probably one of the reasons why I said what I said at the onset. I will say for a movie that really didn't didn't surprise me with any of the big plot twists that it had, I will say that one of my favorite like little plot twists was the bit with the mirror, right? When they cast the dimensional portal on the mirror and they use that to go ahead and try to get into the treasure room and then they realize that the treasure isn't where the treasure room is, right? Like that whole thing. Kind of cool. I, that was, that really was the only one cool. I didn't see coming. Yeah. yeah. That was the only one I didn't see coming. Yeah, for sure. I Me saw way. that coming a mile away. But when they yep. actually got in and like, uh, uh, it's not here. I'm like, what? It's not here. It's, yep. it, so like, they had a moment. It again, like, that's the kind of thing that when a storyteller pulls, when, when your players hatch this plan and you're like, oh, okay, they have misread part of what's going on. They have missed a critical clue about what Forge is doing. I think uh, it's a changeling. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think the movie showed the clue well. Here's a great tip for storytellers out there. I don't think the movie did a great job of showing what Forge's overall plan was. It's good for heist films. They do that all the time. Like they get to the thing and it's not there. That's common in heists. But from a game table standpoint, if you're a storyteller running a game and you're doing something similar to this, you need to have given your players a clue. And if they missed it, but you needed to somehow foreshadow that Forge may be doing something different with the money or the treasure. We, the audience, saw that, but none of the player characters saw that. Yeah. We, the audience, heard him say, and now I might need to be getting out of here. That's when they re- do the big reveal. So for the right. audience, that's very satisfying. In a movie, that's very satisfying. My caution to DMs who are trying to work heist films or work plots similar to this, and it's absolutely fine to do so, just be aware that you can't do that at the table. At the yeah. table, you have to foreshadow big changes like that. that twist yeah. is will anger players if there was no chance that they could have ever known. Yeah, I do hear that. That it worked well in the movie, but wouldn't necessarily fly at the table because the players, I think, would feel a little robbed if there was no setup that 
that was going to happen. Because if at least if they're set up, you can go ahead and say, ah, remember when you did this? And they'd be like, oh, God, I remember when that happened. Yeah, uh, if they like, saw, if they, when they were walking in, if they saw a bunch of wagon trains and a bunch of guys with wheelbarrows moving to a different right. part of the castle that had nowhere to go where they were, it's like, oh, that's odd. That would be foreshadowing. Yeah. Literally, the only thing they would have needed to do to give the players the opportunity to investigate if they wanted to and then move on. And that's all they would have had to show in the movie. And that would have been a perfect way to depict that at a table. So little things like that, if you're going to, like I said, fun movie, individual scenes work really well for what happens at a D and D table. That particular bit, be very cautious if you're bringing that to your table. Yep. Yep. Let's see. So you asked Glenn, Oh, you yeah. mentioned Sorry. yours. Nobody asked me yeah. my favorite character. Leonica, what's your favorite character <laughs> in the Dungeons go. and Dragons Honor Among Thieves movie? And <laughs> I almost want to do pull a Josh and say, what do you think it is? But I'm actually just going to come out straight and tell you. And what it really comes down to is Holga. I think that is probably one of the most fun and cool depictions other than our dear friend from Vox Machina of a barbarian that I have ever seen. And while... Vox Machina depicts a barbarian in a very traditional, straightforward, rage kind of sense. I loved the way Holga, and I almost keep wanting to say Hetty because I'm all about Fast and the Furious, but I love the way Hetty slash Holga. Letty. Letty. With an L. Yeah, Letty. Hetty. I also watch NCIS Los Angeles, so I'm crossing many genres and streams here. (laughs) But I love the way this was done. I thought it was a lot of fun. I love the fact that that while she got angry, it wasn't a Hulk kind of rage machine. I thought Michelle Rodriguez did an amazing job kind of showing her intensity. Like her rage was a level of intensity. And when she Mm -hmm. was going reckless in that scene where she's in that Smithy area and going at it and she was taking those hits and shrugging them off and getting it done was really well done. And I will point to one of the greatest things I saw in that movie is – they showed what happens when a barbarian does the whole fight under rage, loses too many hit points, continues fighting at rage, and then the fight's over, and then she sits down and she's like, that doesn't look too good. And she goes <laughs> in and she's dying. Like, that is perfection. That's yeah. exactly what the table is supposed to show. And it rarely happens because barbarians are crazy difficult to knock out of a fight and put down permanently. And the game is really hard to kill anybody in general. But I thought that was a brilliant depiction of the mechanics of the barbarian. I thought Michelle Rodriguez did a yep. wonderful job playing the character. And the fact that she was this barbarian didn't mean she didn't love, have love. She wasn't passionate about things. That she wasn't a fantastic mother to its daughter, Kira. Yeah. I thought that they brought, and I know, Glenn, you made the comment that Doric had the best backstory. But those little flashbacks where they kept showing her throughout the movie with Kira and she kept referring to her as bug and all of those little endearments, the way that when they, when the part, when Ed and her first showed up and Kira went to her first, Yes, there's this whole thing about how she'd been lied to about her father, but her connection to Holga was exceptionally well done. The only thing I think was missing is if Ed had at least said the words, it's not about the wife I lost, but it's about the mother you've always known. If he had just said that line, I would have been immeasurably happier with the way that ended. And I was very happy with the ending, but in my head, I'm like, how do you miss that line? They visually showed it. But why wouldn't 
a bard, uh, a, a person who has words, yeah. who is intelligent, why couldn't he just say those words? I really See, I wanted those words to be those said. Words. I think that scene was perfect as well as it was, and one of the one of the rules of storytelling is don't tell when you can show. So if you can encompass the scene so well that it left you wanting the words, but they weren't needed because it showed it all right there on his face and on his daughter's face, they did their job perfectly with the scene for that media of content creation, which is film. And they showed you. They didn't need the narration. They didn't need the line. I thought that scene was fantastic. I also loved Holga in general. My issue, and it's not an issue, I thought her character was fantastic. And I think Michelle Rodriguez did a great job with it. She didn't land in my top tier cast members, not because of performance or the actress, but because the character itself was a little flat. All it had going for it was, I'm a ragey barbarian and a surrogate mom. She didn't even have a backstory beyond she used to be married to a halfling. So, you know what I mean? That's all she needed for the film, though. That's not. She didn't yeah. need more than that. So her character and role fit the storyline perfectly. If if it was a three part movie, could you have gotten more? Yes, but her character needed it the least. I felt like she was already good. I would absolutely understand and agree with that statement. I just thought what I did see, I liked better than I what I saw in other characters. Oh, that's cool. You're right. Don't tell if you can show. I felt Chris Pine didn't show it well enough. That's why I wanted the words. I didn't want the words because I just wanted the words. I wanted the words because I felt his face didn't show it. I knew that's what the scene was calling for, but I didn't see that level of emotion on his face. And because we didn't have that, if they just showed Kira in Holga's arms and his voice was saying it, so we didn't even see him saying it, that would have landed better for me because I don't think his face had it. And that's me. I think you're not wrong. You're absolutely correct. If the scene shows it, you don't need to say the words. I just don't felt the scene showed it enough. See, I think the scene showed something more than that, too. I think what Chris Pine's face and Ed's character showed at that moment wasn't just his grief over the loss of Helga. Is Part of the reason his face looked a little flat is I read it as conflicted, and I watched a couple of conflicts go across his face because it wasn't just the real losing Helga. And it wasn't just the realization that his daughter needed Helga because that was the mother she's always known. He was also accepting the fact – Holga, thank you. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't just that he was working with – he was losing Helga and that was the – Hulk. Jesus, I did it again. It wasn't just that he – it wasn't just that he was losing Holga and that she was the only mother his daughter had ever known and seeing his daughter's heartbreak. He was also dealing with his own internal conflict of now he has to let go of the dream of getting his wife back. Yeah, which he'd had for so long. He had he been carried trying for, so for long. years and years. And I saw I mean, that he, on his face. He had to ride Narakokra out of the prison to go ahead and get to this dream. That, that's another hysterical. To. They were <laughs> so going to sign his pardon. Actually, didn't actually <laughs> didn't have know to. that. But, uh, that's, yeah. Jonathan, was, you're here! <laughs> which I thought was absolutely funny. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so funny. Oh my goodness. And that's the kind of, like, again, the kind of cockamamie plan that players would come up with just waiting for the one Eric Kokra on the council so that they can go ahead and throw him out a window and hold on and write him down. Life. Fly, bird, fly! And the look oh. on that character, that was actually one of the best effects in the movie for me. It because totally the look is. On, absolutely like, hysterical. Look, I'm not, I don't want to shame if players love Eric Hoker, absolutely fine for whatever reason they do, but I think Eric Hoker are ridiculous characters. I would never particularly want to play one. And I thought 
that was my depiction of an Eric Okra. Like that to yeah. me is how useful they are in games I play. And yeah, I yeah. played at many tables where people have played them. The characters have been fine. Or they've had neat abilities and all that kind of thing. And we've had great games, but it's not a character ancestry I care for. But yeah. myself, that's a personal opinion. Take it with a grain of salt. Play the characters you want to play. But uh, I thought that that fit my view of Eric Okra perfectly. All right, so to go ahead and round out this episode tonight, I'm going to open up the can of worms that we looked at when we were doing our pre-show discussion and didn't actually open. It's going to be about Ed's character because we were already going back and forth about whether or not Ed is a bard or a mastermind thief. And I think that there was evidence on either side of this. And so I'm rogue. curious which direction you guys came down on. Or a different kind of thief. Mastermind rogue. Is mastermind is rogue. Right, yeah, yeah, sorry, you're right. A mastermind rogue. Or a different kind of rogue or whatever. You know, what? where did you guys wind up coming down on this here? So if I went by what I saw on film and my take on it, I would have definitely gone mastermind rogue with very mundane stats. So he failed as much as he succeeded. However, in a second thought about the film and looking at the actual character sheet, that Wizards of the Coast has on D&D Beyond for the character. And I looked at the spells that they gave the character because they do list him as a bard. And I see the spells they had. I actually can now say that they did successfully depict him as a bard. So I have 100% changed my tune. I think they did not do a great job of depicting. I can actually picture the scenes where some of these things were used and done, but I don't think they did a great job of showcasing it to a player that that's what he was doing. And I think that's where that really came across poorly. So things like friends, things like I don't think he ever used message that I'm aware of. Charm person, definitely. Disguise self, likely. Suggestion, very likely. And nothing for nothing, the characters are not player characters that they have in D&D Beyond. They're set up as NPCs so your player characters can meet them. But I do find that I think they did not do a great job of handling some of those things. Like, I don't think they showcased all of them very well. Definitely a bard, now that I see what they had, because I can see the scenes where some of these abilities and things were used. If nothing else, because he has spells. Mastermind's not right. have spells. Yep. There's well, that. I needed to see, I would have liked to have seen some bard magic, if that was yeah. the case that was visible. I, in the end, cho- I, in the end, left the movie thinking, Mastermind Rogue, with a level of tour bard, or he's faking it just for a cover. Yep. Just based on what I saw in the film, that was my opinion. But you're not wrong. Looking back and the other things that people have said, I could see that he was a bard too. But they just didn't do a great job of showing it. Like, we didn't see his magic in the film, we saw the results of his magic. Like, I didn't see him cast a spell, I saw him with a disguise that failed. I saw him have conversations that altered people's way of thinking slightly or failed to alter people's way of thinking because they clearly passed checks or what have you. But I could see what he was trying to do, but there's no visual for me as a viewer knowing that was spell magic. Like, I don't think if he took a non-D&D player who doesn't know anything about the classes, they would assume his character had magic. Because the few things that he did that were magical were either based on an item he had or something that somebody else did to him. Yeah, I hear that. But I also think that on some level, that's the way, as a storyteller, we wish our bards would cast magic. Because bards, I think, are one of those 
they have spells, but they're really that class for me that their spells are the mechanical way to express the ultimate charismatic abilities of the bard on some level. I just think that if I think about like my typical bard character, the way that he cast his spells, the way that he used his magic through that sort of sense of, or through that ability of, of persuasive ability or charismatic ability, that's the way I think I would want bards to go ahead and cast spells. We just normally don't make the space and the time for it to happen at the table. I absolutely 100% agree with you, Josh. That's the way when I play a bard, I absolutely play it. I tend to play a bard who doesn't take combat-oriented spells. That spell list is part of the spell list I have used with all of the bards I've played because I always play these bards that are not too tacky with their spells. The only exception is our famous duel with the devil in the graveyard for our class warfare episode. Class warfare, That's right. the only one I've ever done that differently with. So I agree with you. But if you are visually depicting this game, I believe you have a responsibility to show that somebody's casting magic, even if, and almost like in a soliloquy, you see the person talking and you hear them because they step out into that different part of the stage, the lights go dim on everything else, everybody else is frozen, they're talking, that tells you, the viewer, oh, this is them thinking in their head. So even yeah. if you take his casting and his words and you put that echoey effect so it's like, come on, you really want to be my friend, and you hear it like echoey and stuff, we yeah. as an audience need to know a spell was cast, even if no other person present does. And that's where I think the film let us down mechanically. Or 100% visually. agree. It goes back to what we are talking about earlier for your media type. You're making a film, so you need to show. And all it would have taken was an audio effect on his voice or even a shimmery heat air thing coming out of his mouth or away from yep. his lute as he was strumming it. Yep. Any kind of small visual effect that would have made it clear that something was going on, but it wasn't big and flashy. The only yep. reason was all it needed and that would have brought it home. Yeah. yeah. The only thing, reason that. why we even have the question is because we had no visual depiction of him casting spells. Like all of the right. spells would have no visual to anybody in the scene. Except for occasionally when he pulled out his loot, what we saw him do all film long was come up with elaborate plans to steal things. Which yep. is what a mastermind rogue does. Yeah. And wear a bunch of armor that most bards don't wear when he was a member of the Harpers. I'll, but I'll leave that page. But I did absolutely <laughs> love the, but wait, isn't plan C just plan A all over again? No, no, plan A's got a stink on it. I, that was <laughs> my next favorite line. That's got a stink on it. <laughs> it's got a stink on it. Oh, yeah. that's the kind of, and so that's overall, that's why I think the movie was enjoyable for me though. Cause yeah, you know, it, it played fast and loose with the rules. Let's be honest. All great casual games play fast and loose with the rules a little bit. It's story over rules. You, Absolutely. Uh, rule of cool. Exactly. And at the end of the day, the movie was enjoyable. There were enough jokes, but not too many jokes. They all landed, excepting the bit with the attunement of the helmet when they brought in a little bit of drama, like the drama between the sorcerer and Doric, how the sorcerer wanted to get with Doric and Doric was not having that. And so he'd, they'd kind of go back and forth a little bit and Doric would be like, no, no, get stop that kind of thing. That all, that all landed well because it wasn't never got in the way. I wish the whole thing with they the Underdark moments. and Zank was more, but am I happy for what they gave us? Yeah, I just wish that there was more of it. I think overall the movie is successful. 
in terms of what it was trying to do. And it was trying to go ahead and produce finally a decent D&D movie. It has succeeded on that. And in terms of the movie as like a launching pad for the rest of the kind of media things that they're trying to do, I'm interested to how that's going to come about, right? Like how is, is it ever actually going to happen? Are we going to get the Paramount Plus D&D series now? We'll see. With a series, they could take a lot more time. They really could. Absolutely. I could enjoy a series that was a little lighthearted and fun. I think a couple things that give it pause, and I disagree with this overall opinion. I think Disney Plus's Willow did not do what was expected of it. It did not get the numbers it was expected to get. And there's some question as to whether we've been told it's a no. There's been commentary from Warwick Davis's camp that it's not necessarily a no, but it may not be too fast. It might be scaled back. Yeah. It's still up in the air, but it clearly didn't get what it wanted to get. This movie did not get what they wanted to get. It's streaming. It's like life and livelihood in streaming may scale up or scale down what we get in a future project. But I would imagine yeah. They're not going to put the kind of money that they put into this film into the series, and we're going to get a much more scaled back version of what we had. Now, will we get the same writers who at least get that comedy piece right? Will we get the same type of writers so we can get all the other things? We're in the middle of a writer's strike. Who knows what people are going to be working on and how many projects are going to be backed up and where this is going to land on a future schedule when this is all said and done. There are a lot of things that are going up against this movie. I would say this film is at disadvantage right now. A series is mm. at significant disadvantage right now. And I don't know if they have the luck points to make that reroll. Well done. Well done. Luck points. I was even blending over. Well, no, there's the lucky feet. There's the lucky feet. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. luck points is part of Tales of the Valiant, too. So I wasn't sure where you were going with your metaphor. It's an optional mm-hmm. rule for 5e yeah. as well. And there's the lucky feet, which provides luck points. So you could have been going that way as well. Yeah. Um, Last thing on the will we get a TV series for D&D. As far as I'm pretty sure that Vox Machina has been greenlit for a third season. Oh, absolutely. So, yes. I yes, we will. greenlit for four also. But I think they are actually greenlit for yeah. two more, yes. Yeah, yeah. But the last season didn't complete the current story arc either. It only completed the first part of the story arc. Yeah, interesting. Josh hasn't seen it yet, has he? No. I have, I have not seen season two yet, no. I am nearly done with season two. I got a couple more episodes. Son is really into it, so we watched it with him. We're enjoying watching it. No, Wrap us I, up. Bring I, us up. Yeah, I know. In, in all fairness, I was I have been consumed with other TV lately. Like Succession just ended. Now Succession is done. Now I can go ahead and move on to other things. I need to go. There are so many things out there to There's choose to so spend time on. I haven't even picked up Shadow and Bone season two yet. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Like I haven't seen any of it. I yeah. haven't either. I'm still trying to wrap up. NCIS Los Angeles right now. I did finish Shadow and Bone season two too, but that one's because my wife is super into that world. She's read all the books. And I remember you you saying that you read all the books too, right? I've not read all of them. I read the following two books. Yeah. Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, and then went mm-hmm. back and started the original three covering the Grisha Wars. Uh, and okay. I was halfway through the second book when I petered out. But the second the first set of books shows that it was the author's first set of books and it's yeah, got yeah. a couple of slow points and yeah. yeah yeah so on tuesday on actual play tuesdays we're gonna wrap up chapter two of star trek preservations i think that's i think actually this way this the editing's not complete yet i think that's gonna be a three-part episode i think that will wrap up on tuesday it might go one more week but we'll take 
I look when we do that. And then next Friday on the show, we bring in friends of the show, the three wise DMs to go ahead and come in and talk about uh, talk about their reboot, or where they're going and what they've been doing. And really looking forward to having that conversation. And we might so. talk about collaboration. And that's what we've got coming up on the show next week. I hope that you enjoyed our little takedown here of the movie. Let us know as always what you think. What Did you enjoy the movie? Did you think that the movie was successful? Or are you more like Lewinika who thought that, uh, that he was glad that he watched it on streaming because if he'd watched it in the theater, uh, would have been disappointed. Let us know in the comments as always. Let us know what you thought. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate it. Have a good night. Good night all. Laters. Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await.